Good morning. Welcome to Three Legs Senior Jungle Free Church. We're excited that you're here. Um, yeah, this is this is me and Cammie's first time back in four weeks, three weeks, four weeks. It's it's a long time. So we're excited to be back. We're excited to be back. A um, couple of quick announcements. First of all, um, we're having a TLEFC Christmas movie night on December 11th. We're having two different movies, The Grinch at 4 o'clock and It's a Wonderful Life at 6.30. There's going to be a pizza intermission, which I've never actually seen those two together, pizza intermission, but I'm excited about that. So um, December 11th, put on your calendars. Um, it's for the whole family. There will be popcorn for all of you that are wondering. So, um, yeah, excited for that. Also, uh, next week, we are going to be starting something a little new for, well, it'll be for a limited time, but we are doing Christmas greetings. Um, We're going to have a camera set up, and we are going to film you guys giving a Christmas greeting if you want to. It's kind of a way as a a body that we can unite together and, and kind of have our own kind of Christmas card video thing. So if you want to do that, um, it will be, we'll be in the library or out here. It'll be around, okay? It'll be in between service and Sunday school. If you have questions, call the church office. And with that, I'm turning it over to the worship team. Good morning again. I'm going to invite you to stand with us as we begin to worship this morning.
seated. It's good to be with you this morning, whether you're here in person, whether you're joining us online. We're glad you're here, um, especially this this Sunday as we enter into um, what we call the Advent season, right? This season where we kind of do two things, right? Remember the longing that the ancient Israelites felt that they waited for their Savior, and then we prepare our own hearts for the coming of Jesus. And so it's a, a special and unique season in the life of the church, and I'm excited to walk through this season with you. Um, let's pray together. Father, we, we do thank you for the chance to gather here this morning whether in person or online, just to be your people, your church gathered in this place that you have chosen to work through, your people gathered together to achieve your purposes on this earth. You could have done it any way you chose, but you chose to work in and through your people. And so we recognize what a privilege it is to be your children and to partner with you in achieving your mission. And God, we do, as we look forward to Christmas, we look forward to the celebration of the birth of Jesus, we we remember the longing that, that the Israelites would have felt that they waited for the coming of the Messiah. And we, too, wait with eager longing for the day when Jesus will come a second time and he will come and make all things right when all the effects of living in a fallen and a broken and a sin-filled world will be undone, when he will wipe away every tear, when he will put an end to death and pain and suffering. We look forward to that day, even as the Israelites look forward to Jesus' birth. God, we do pray that as we sing now and as we go forward leading up to Christmas, that you would prepare our hearts, God, that we would, for those of us who have known Jesus for a long time, that you would just give us a renewed sense of what a great and special thing you did by sending Jesus for us, that you would re-enliven in us a sense of awe at what a great gift Jesus is for people who don't yet know Jesus, God, that you would use this unique season to draw people to yourself, that you would reveal to them what a great and precious thing you did in sending Jesus, and people would understand all the more why we celebrate Christmas in such a big way. God, as we continue to worship this morning, I pray that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, that our heart would be tuned to the words we sing, that we would not go through the motions, but that we would sing the words in a way that honors and glorifies you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You continue to stand as we continue to worship this morning and sing about God's faithfulness.
The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the good promise I made to the people of Israel and Judah. In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord, our righteous Savior. These verses look forward with hope to the day when God will send a Savior for his people. Today, as we enter the season of Advent and prepare our hearts for the coming of the righteous branch, we light the candle of hope. May it remind each of us of God's great promise to us. He is our hope, he is our Redeemer, and he is our Savior. Let's pray. Father, during this Advent season, may we be reminded of your promises to us and the hope we have in trusting them. Help us to prepare our hearts to celebrate the coming of your Son in a way that honors you. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray.
Jesus, your name is indeed great, and it is our joy and our privilege to be able to come gather together your people and to praise that name. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's, it's a joy for me every Sunday to come and be able to sing, and I'm so thankful for our musicians and our worship leader to lead us like in music, right? Because there's just like, like music has this unmatched ability like, to make our hearts feel certain things that words by themselves just can't do. There's a there's a unique power in music that's kind of hard to explain. So you may remember Gabrielle Giffords. She was the congresswoman from Arizona who was shot in the head in January 2011, and like somewhat remarkably, she survived that attack. But that, but that, but that shooting severely damaged the left side of her brain, and the left side of the brain is the part of the brain that's responsible for speech. So as a as a result of that attack, Gifford was unable to speak in the aftermath. And so in an effort to help her regain her speech, Gifford underwent a form of music therapy. And this this therapy had her sing in order to learn relearn how to talk. Because like while speech originates on the left side of the brain, singing ability originates on the right side of the brain. So Gifford was able to work around her injury to the left side of her brain by first singing her thoughts and then eventually dropping the melody. So using this technique, along with some other kinds of therapy, Gifford regained her ability to speak to such an extent that she was able to testify before Congress, and she gave a speech at the 2020 Democratic National Convention, and you don't need to agree with her politics in order to acknowledge how incredible that story is, or how incredible the power of music is in helping her to recover. And along with Gifford's story, a number of recent studies have shown that music has just this incredible ability to impact the brain. It's been shown to reduce pain and anxiety in patients before, during, and after surgery. It's been found to help people recovering from strokes and brain injuries. And music has been shown to improve the quality of life for people dealing with Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and dementia. But of course, like this, our knowledge of the power of music is, is nothing new. Right? Really, since the beginning of human history, people have understood that power has an ability to communicate emotion in a way that spoken word just can't do. There's a reason that the third longest book in the Bible is a book of songs. Oliver Sacks is a neurologist who spent part of his career studying the effects of music on the brain, and he once wrote, One does not need to have any formal knowledge of music, nor indeed to be particularly musical, to enjoy music and respond to it at the deepest levels. Music is part of being human, and there is no human culture in which it is not highly developed and esteemed. He says, like, music is part of being human, and I think like, the reason of part of being human is that having emotions 
part of being human, and music is a powerful tool in expressing those emotions. And one person who understood the power of music to convey emotion was Luke. So we've been working our way through the first couple of chapters of Luke here, and Luke, in the first, four, first two chapters of his gospel, includes four songs. And today we come to the first of those songs, this one coming from the lips of Mary as she like, seeks to express her joy over how God has worked in her life. So this song in Luke 1, verses 46-56 has traditionally been called the Magnificat. Right? Because Magnificat is the first word in the Latin translation of this passage. In the Latin Bible, it's the standard Bible of the church for a thousand years. So that name kind of stuck around even as the Latin Bible has fallen out of use. And the word magnificat, and you might guess it from hearing it, it means magnify. The Latin language is relatively unconcerned with word order. So that means like they could... They could put the verb magnify first in the sentence and it made sense. Whereas we English speakers, we have a pretty strict preference for word order. Like we prefer subject, verb, object. And so we translate the passage, my soul magnifies the Lord. Or the NIV translates, my soul glorifies the Lord. But I prefer the word magnifies here because I think it does a better job just capturing the meaning of the original Greek word which is megaluno, which means basically to enlarge or to magnify. So when we talk about magnifying, especially when it comes to magnifying God, we need to be careful to articulate what we mean. If you just think about some of the common ways that magnification is used in the day-to-day world, two things might come to mind, namely a microscope and a telescope. And now both a microscope and a telescope at a basic level, do the same thing. They magnify. But they do very different jobs. A microscope's job is to take something small, like a cell, for example, and to make it look larger so we can examine it more closely. Whereas a telescope's job is to take something unfathomably large, like a star or a galaxy, and draw our perspective closer to it so we can more fully appreciate its grandeur and its awesomeness. And that's the kind of magnifying that Mary has in mind when she says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And her soul, in response to all that, is, all that God has done for her, is drawing closer to God so that she can better appreciate the beauty and the majesty and the glory of who God is. And that statement, my soul magnifies the Lord, or my soul glorifies the Lord, really sums up what this passage is out to teach us, which is that like, the proper response to God's grace in our lives is to magnify and rejoice in the Lord for who He is and what He has done. Like, the proper response to God's grace in our lives is to, to glorify God for who He is and what He has done. And so a couple of weeks ago, we looked at the passage where Gabriel comes to Mary and tells her that she's going to give birth to God's son. And as part of that interaction, Gabriel tells Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And we talked in that sermon about how like, Mary didn't do anything to 
earn the right right, to be the mother of God's son. But rather, that that word favor is the same word as grace. God chose Mary to be Jesus' mother, not because she had done anything to deserve it, but as a gift, as an act of his grace. And now, in this passage, Mary recognizes God's gracious hand in her life. And she responds in the only way that is appropriate. In the only way that can begin to express the emotions she's feeling. She responds in song. In singing this song, Mary's hope is to do two things, which she makes clear in verses 46 and 47. We already looked at verse 46 briefly, but let's look at 46 and 47 again briefly. Luke chapter 1, verses 46 and 47 say, And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For Mary, the best response to God's grace and blessing in her life is to sing a song in which she glorified God and rejoiced in Him. And the same thing ought to be true for us. If, If we've experienced the grace of God in our lives, if we've been blessed by God beyond anything we deserve, right, which we're all sinners, so like every breath we breathe is more than we deserve, right, then our response should be to do one of two things. Like magnify God, or glorify God, and rejoice in God. But the proper response to God's goodness to us is to do all that we can to magnify God to draw closer to him, to draw other people closer to him, so that we and the people around us can see how beautiful and awesome and amazing and glorious our God is. Then as we do that, we can't help but to rejoice. The more magnified God becomes, the more clearly we see his goodness towards us, the more clearly we see his love for us, the more clearly we see his beauty because he's magnified, then all we can help but do is to rejoice and celebrate that the good and loving and beautiful God is our God. And often, like, the best way to magnify God and rejoice in him is in song. Now, I'm, I'm not a good singer. I don't usually enjoy singing all that much. Like, I'm Far more likely, if I'm driving in my car, to listen to an audiobook or a podcast than to be like singing along to some music in my car. Like, so usually I don't, I'm not much for singing. But when we gather together, like God's people, to worship, and my heart is in the right place, and my heart is inclined to consider who God is and what He has done, then I can't help but sing of His goodness and His mercy and His glory. Now, to be clear, that doesn't like, always happen. Right? Like, there's, there are plenty of times when I come here, I go to some worship service, and like, my heart just isn't there. Like, I, my heart isn't tuned into the words I'm singing. Usually it's because I'm like, distracted in one way or another. And as a result, like, I'm just not fully engaged. And, like, I'm not thinking about what the words I'm singing actually mean. Like, I'm simply... Like going through the motions without my heart being in it. I think we all, we all have those moments when we come to worship and our heart's just not fully engaged. And like we praise God 
Is that our, our salvation and our status with God does not depend on us always having the right attitude when we come to worship Him. But those little moments when my heart is right, like when I'm really aware of what I'm singing, when I can really magnify God and rejoice in Him through song, right? those are wonderful moments. Each Sunday when we gather, again, our worship teams lead us in singing. We have the wonderful opportunity to do what Mary does in this passage. Like we have the opportunity to glorify, magnify, and rejoice in our God. And my hope is that like this passage will remind us what a privilege it is right, to worship our Lord and Savior. You know, encourage us like to bring all our heart and our minds with us as we come to worship. That we wouldn't go through the motions, but that we would truly glorify God and rejoice in Him. But we also need to be a little bit careful when we talk about worship, because like, it's pretty easy for, for worship of God to become, become focused on us, like, focused on ourselves. It's really easy to get caught up in the emotion of the music and to focus more on what, like, what I'm feeling and what the song says about me rather than what it says about God. Like in Mary's song, in this passage, it's helpful here too. Because not only does Mary tell us how to respond to God's grace in our lives, she models for us what the focus of our response should be. But namely, it should be on who God is and what he has done. Mary, in this song, like the amazing thing is she doesn't, she doesn't dwell on her own blessed status. Instead, she rejoices in who God is and what he had done, and in that order. We can be tempted sometimes when we worship, right, to, to skip over who God is and focus only on what he has done. But when we do that, we fail to acknowledge that God only does what he does because of who he is. And so as we seek to glorify and rejoice in God, we should always start with who God is. That's what Mary does in this song. So if we look once again at Luke verse, chapter 1, verse 46, notice what Mary says about who God is. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. And so the first thing that Mary says about who God is is that he is Lord. And the idea behind Lord is that he is, he is the owner, he is the master of everything. And because of that, he deserved our obedience and our submission to his commands. Like God is the creator of everything, it's the owner of everything. And therefore, has ultimate authority over everything, and he needs nothing from us. Nothing. Psalm 50 sums this up wonderfully. The psalmist writes, speaking for God, he says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goat from your pens, for every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insects in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. God, as Lord, he owns the world. He needs nothing from us. Yet he chooses to love us 
and care about us and bless us and show us His grace and His mercy. That is who He is. And because of that, He is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of being glorified. And we are right to rejoice in Him, in who He is as Lord. But Lord is not all that He is. If we look back at verse 47, we see another aspect of of God that Mary praises Him for. In verse 47, Mary says, And my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Mary not only rejoices that God is Lord, but also that He is Savior. I guess it's important to note here how Mary proclaims that God is her Savior. We don't see any indication anywhere that the Bible, in the Bible, that Mary was sinless. Or on the contrary, in this verse, Mary seems very aware that she needs a Savior. She is aware that she has sinned and that she deserved to be punished for her sin. And that her only hope of avoiding that punishment is if a Savior comes. And now, because of what the angel Gabriel revealed to her, Mary realizes that God is indeed sending a Savior. But like the incredible thing is that Mary's focus is on the fact that God is sending a Savior for her, not on the fact that God is sending the Savior through her. Like, yes, like she will acknowledge in a minute that she will be called blessed for having the privilege of being the mother of Jesus. But the most important thing to Mary in this passage is not that God chose her to be Jesus' mother. The most important thing to Mary is that God chose her to be saved from her sins. God didn't have to send a Savior for us. We don't deserve to be saved. We deserve to suffer the punishment, penalties, for our sin. But God is our Savior. It is part of who He is. And because of that, Mary magnifies Him and rejoices in Him. And so should we. If we recognize how great a need our sin causes us to have, if we recognize how desperately we need to be saved from our sins, then the only appropriate response to God giving us that Savior is to worship Him. And the third aspect of who God is that Mary worships God for is found in verse 49. I'm going to start reading in verse 48 for context. It says, For you have been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me. So not only is God Lord, not only is he Savior, but he is also, Mary says, the Mighty One. In Psalm 115 we read, Our God is in heaven. He does whatever He pleases. But the God who merely spoke and the whole universe popped into existence is able to do whatever He pleases. He is the Mighty One. And of course, like Mary has first-hand knowledge of this. When Gabriel told her she would become pregnant with God's son, Mary asked how this could happen, since she was a virgin. 
And part of Gabriel's reply was that nothing is impossible with God. The only possible way a virgin becomes pregnant is if the laws of nature are broken. And the only one who can break the laws of nature is the God who made them. God is the mighty one. Nothing is impossible for him. He can do whatever he pleases. And the truth is, and that truth is that yet another reason for us to magnify and rejoice in him, that he is mighty. He can do all that he pleases. And so Mary praises God in the Son because he is the Lord, because he is her Savior, because he is the mighty one. And at the end of verse 49, we see one more aspect of who God is that Mary praises him for. Verse 49 again, For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And Mary praises God because his name is holy. And in Mary's culture, in that Jewish culture, like someone's name was closely associated with who they were. A person's name and their character were inseparable. And so when Mary says that God's name is holy, that's no different than saying that God himself is holy. And God's holiness is one of, if not the defining characteristic of God throughout the whole Bible. And God's holiness refers to his moral perfection, that he is perfectly good. But even more than that, God's holiness refers to the fact that he is altogether unique, and he is different than us. Sam Storms puts it this way. The holiness of God only secondarily refers to his moral purity, his righteousness of character. It primarily points to his infinite otherness. To say that God is holy is to say that he is transcendently separate. Holiness is not one attribute among many. It is not like grace or power or knowledge or wrath. Everything about God is holy. Each attribute partakes of divine holiness. And Sinclair Ferguson says, God's holiness means that he is separate from sin. But holiness in God also means wholeness. God's holiness is his godness. It is his being God in all that it means for him to be God. To meet God in his holiness, therefore, is to be altogether overwhelmed by the discovery that he is God and not a man. He is God and not a man. God is not merely a better version of us, a more righteous version of us. He is altogether set apart, altogether separate, altogether, as Storm said, transcendently separate. If we want to fully grasp how precious Jesus is, we must first understand God's holiness. We must see how God is morally perfect and how he demands perfection to come into his presence. And therefore, how every sin, no matter how small or insignificant it may seem to us, is an act of cosmic rebellion that God will not abide. If God ignored our seemingly small sins, 
He would not be holy. And if he were not holy, he would not be God. God will not let us into his eternal presence with any hint of impurity on us, because to do so would diminish his holiness. And that, by itself, is bad news for us. Because we, we all know that we have done things that we shouldn't do. We've all sinned. If we're to have any hope of spending eternity in God's presence, then we need a way to be holy ourselves. But that way of being made holy must come from outside of ourselves. Any effort we put forth to make ourselves holy, to make ourselves pure, as we're sinners, like any effort we do, it's like, it's like trying to wash clothes in a mud puddle. Right? It's not going to work. Because we're sinful, which we can't make ourselves pure and holy. But thankfully, like God not only demands holiness, right? He provides the means of making us holy. Right? He sends Jesus through the Virgin Mary. And Jesus lives the holy, righteous, pure, sinless life that we could not live. But then he's treated as a sinner and killed on the cross. And on the cross, Jesus takes on him the sins of everyone who believes in him. And God pours out his judgment against sin on Jesus. So that when we believe in Jesus, God looks at us and sees the perfect, sinless, holy life that Jesus lived. Martin Luther called this the great exchange. And it's summed up beautifully in 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul writes, God made him who had no sin, that's Jesus, to be sin for us, so that in him, in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. Likewise, 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. You have put to death in the body, but made alive in the Spirit. By believing in Jesus, God treats us as if we lived the holy life Jesus lived. And that ultimately is what Mary has in mind when she says in verse 49, He has done great things for me. In addition to worshiping God for who he is, Mary also worships God for what he has done. And she starts out by worshiping God for what he has done for her personally. And the same thing ought to be true for us. If we truly grasp who God is, if we truly grasp that he is holy, and if we really grasp that we are sinners who consistently rebel against God, if we really realize how hopeless our situation is apart from God sending a Savior, then how can we do anything other than magnify God for sending Jesus and rejoice in the fact that God has sent His Son in order that we might become the righteousness of God? We should glorify God and rejoice in Him for what He has done for us personally, for us individually. He has saved us from our sins. But we must not stop there. 
Okay, it's easy to be amazed by what God has done for me and then to only dwell on that fact. But God does not save us as individuals in a vacuum. He saves us to a people. The rest of Mary's song makes that clear. Starting in verse 50, Mary says, His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary not only rejoices in what God has done for her personally, but for what God has done for his people collectively. Again, verses 54 and 55 say, He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Right? Remembering to be merciful to Abraham, but not just to Abraham, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And in Galatians, Paul writes, If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. When we trust in Jesus, we become part of a people of God. Like God has been calling to himself for thousands and thousands and thousands of years. God calls us to himself. He calls us not just to have our sins forgiven, but to join the family of God. That's why it's so important what we do here on Sundays, whether you join us online or you're here in person. We're, we're here like at Three Lakes Evangelical Free Church. Like We're a, a small family unit in the much larger family of God. And by gathering together, we're, we're reminded that when God saves us, He saves us to something far bigger than ourselves. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that we are the body of Christ. Right? Just as our bodies need arms and ears and toes, and so the body of Christ needs all of us contributing in order to properly function. Just as a finger, apart from the rest of the body, is useless, right? so too is a Christian, apart from the rest of God's family. Which is why right? we ought to praise and rejoice in what God has done for us individually, but also for us people collectively. We have to praise God for this church. We have to praise God for the way God is working right now in the lives of people here in this church. And we have to praise God for what he is doing throughout the world and bringing people to himself. God is doing amazing things right now in places like China and India and Iran to bring people to faith in Christ. And our hearts should be moved to praise and rejoice in Him for that. Like our God is Lord. He is mighty. He is holy. He is our Savior. And because of who He is, He has freely chosen to save a people for Himself. And if you believe in Jesus, like you are part of that people. And so my hope 
for us as we go out from here, that we would, we would go with such a sense of awe over who God is and what He has done. That our heart to be inclined, our heart to be moved, to magnify Him and rejoice in Him as we go throughout our week. Let's pray. Father, you are truly an awesome God. So amazed by who you are, that you are holy, that you are mighty, that you are Lord, that you are our Savior. God, we just pray that you would work in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, so that we would not take those truths for granted, but that we would be amazed by how awesome a God you are. God, it's so easy to go through the motions, to think we know everything, to think we know all that we need to know about you and to lose our sense of wonder. But God, move in each of our hearts now and this week. Help us, God, to be amazed anew at your glory, at your majesty, at your beauty, at your grace to us. God, would we be a people who magnify, who glorify you, and who rejoice in the fact that you have sent Jesus to save us from our sins, that you are a good, gracious, and mighty God. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we, as we leave here today, just hear these words from Paul that I think sum up what we are saying well. I just pray that, I pray that like, these words be true for each of us as we go from here. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God, the Father, through him. Here it is,